It's time, Fort Wayne. Your sports, your station. It's, it's the, the Sports, sports Rush, Rush with Brett Ruff. Got it! Covering all the topics that hit a nerve here in the Summit City. Clark, 11 yards, touchdown! Only on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Now here's your host, Brett Rump. The greatest, most interesting, most important person of all time. You are I am Brett Rump along with Adam Lundy. It's the day after. It's national holiday, I guess. The Super Bowl hangover Monday. How many people are right now just half asleep at work trying to get out? If you get off at 4 o'clock, you're probably booking at home thinking, I got time for a nap before I get dinner. Yeah, it's one of those nights where you stay up late, you watch the... Big game, and then afterwards, of course, you have to watch the post game and the post game comments. Then you got to flip it from Fox to ESPN. Maybe check out our Westwood One radio broadcast. We had that here yesterday exclusively in the Fort Wayne area on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. But uh, big one yesterday. We'll talk plenty about that. Also, coming up on the show Purdue, IU basketball, Mastodon's basketball, Colts, do they have their coach? Uh, you know what it gets down to tracking private planes, that it's got to be close. <laughs> You're sniffing it out. There's people that are following the Colts private jet and where it's going, when it's returning. Uh, we don't know if the, you know, one of these that we learned from the last time is we'll believe it when we see it, when there's a press conference and they're actually, the guy's actually saying how happy he is to be in Indianapolis, be the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. That's when we'll believe it. But, uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk about that as well. Also on the show, Dylan Sin for the Turtle Cassette. He covered both the Hoosiers and Purdue Boilermakers this weekend. Won a winner, won a loser. And we've got the great Don Fisher joining us in our 5 o'clock hour. Yesterday, uh, had a Mastodons game and was pretty glad to get home and turn on the TV and watch the Super Bowl and get my mind off the Mastodons game yesterday because we won't talk much about the Mastodons game till later in the show. I'll push it off as far as I can. But uh, getting a, a chance to watch the Super Bowl last night, and of course, as predicted, the Kansas City Chiefs come away with a close victory. I feel like you chose the Eagles there, bro. No, I did not. Do not try to pin that on me. Check the tape. It's we'll on the archive. To, we'll have to go back. You go back. Yeah, I want you to pull that audio from the end of the show because I picked the Chiefs to win 31-27. You did. I can vouch for it. Okay. Uh, I think I even put it on the on the show notes. So I think it's all in writing. It's on the audio. I took the Chiefs 31-27. They went at 38-35. And, uh, of course, everybody's in an uproar today about the, the, the flag, the holding penalty. I'm like, get over it. There's plenty of flags throughout a football game. Just because it happened to be on the last drive, you want to make – um, a bigger deal out of that than what it really is. 
The guy held. He admitted he held. He grabbed the jersey. Why? Because the receiver put a good move on him and was going to basically cut to the outside and have a good three, four yards of space for Mahomes to toss the ball. And there was no over-the-top help. So the defender had no choice but to grab a little jersey, slow the guy down, try to keep pace, and he got caught. And he admitted he got caught. Now, do you want to see the penalty in that moment of the game? Probably not. But you also have to have the proper uh, perspective as to who to blame. And who you blame is the guy who committed the penalty. If you don't want to see a penalty at that moment, don't commit one. Don't leave it into the official's hands. And the point is, if you're a Philadelphia fan and you're complaining about that call, maybe maybe you need a whole new perspective because if you're – If you're an Eagles fan, you've got to go back and say, okay, maybe you shouldn't allow 24 second-half points. Maybe you shouldn't drop the ball without contact. Just let the ball slip through your hands, drop to the turf, and be picked up for a scoop and score, which was a huge swing in the ballgame because at that moment, Kansas City's defense had no answer for the Philadelphia offense. Don't blow coverage twice in the red zone. I mean, the the Chiefs schemed up perfect offensive plays, one on the right side, one on the left side, where they started to swing a guy in motion and then reverse direction, and the Philadelphia Eagles absolutely bought it, hook, line, and sinker, and left two guys wide open for easy walk-in touchdowns. Uh, Maybe you don't allow a long punt return on special teams to set up an easy score from five yards out. Uh, maybe you don't get zero sacks when the real strength of your football team is your ability to put pressure on the quarterback, and you've got a quarterback that's gimpy, and what do you do? You don't record a single sack, and I, I believe that the Eagles were the NFL sack leaders for the season. So, you know, you've got no one to blame but yourself. You can also add to that, maybe you should be able to run the football for more than about two yards of carry when it's not... Uh, hurts carrying the football and if you'd been able to run the football perhaps a little better maybe you'd have burned more time maybe it wouldn't have come down to that final drive to win the game for kansas city maybe you could have protected a 10 point halftime lead i mean there's there's plenty of things to point fingers here and it's not the official that made the difference in the football game it was that kansas city took it to philadelphia in the second half and philadelphia didn't handle it Part of it, I think, is because Philadelphia didn't play the schedule that Kansas City played. Philadelphia was accustomed to building first-half leads and then holding on against teams that were much weaker than the Kansas City Chiefs. They couldn't do it against Kansas City. They couldn't protect that lead, part in part because they couldn't run the football. And so they trusted Jalen Hurts. As soon as he threw out a couple of incompletions, and up to that point, Jalen Hurts was completing everything on third and fourth down seemed like every time there was a third and fourth down and you thought that Kansas City's defense was going to get off the field, somehow Philadelphia made a ridiculous play. Goddard, I thought, was insane with a couple of the catches he made. Yeah, especially that one that they had to go to review with the with the bobble. And yeah, the- I mean, you know, they, they had a number of plays early on third and fourth down where they converted, where they really... I don't want to say got lucky, but they executed some great plays to move the chains in in big situations. So you liked the offensive plays that were called? I know where you're going with that. <laughs> um, 
the uh, I, I well, you know, let go. We'll go ahead and go there since you've opened up the can of worms, um, because I had a number of notes from the game. And one of the notes I put was that Philadelphia just scored their seventh opening drive touchdown of the season. I believe it was seventh, maybe even was more than that. Might have even been like the 11th. It was an insane number that on opening drives, Philadelphia finds a way to get to the end zone and score touchdowns. Do you remember? Well, you probably don't because you weren't my producer then. But I used to, two, three, four years ago, rave about Frank Reich's ability to have a beautiful pre-scripted set of plays for the Indianapolis Colts. Because I said, their first drive, maybe even their first two drives, they've got such a, a great game plan as far as how they set up the offense from one play to the next and just move it right down the field. And the Colts had a terrific early offense. Well, then all of a sudden, over the last year or two, I've mentioned, where'd it go? What happened to that offense that the Colts had? Now I think I figured it out. That went with Nick Sirianni to Philadelphia. And when we were giving all the credit to Frank Reich for his beautifully designed plays to start football games for the Indianapolis Colts, maybe we should have been giving the credit to Nick Sirianni because Philadelphia now is the team the Colts used to be, where the Colts were able to execute initial drives and get early leads on people, which also made the defense better because all of a sudden you get the lead. And if you get a two-score lead early, you might start to change the other team's offensive approach against your defense, making your defense that much better. Well, um, yesterday I think we saw just how uh, creative and how good Philadelphia's offense can be now, here's the other thing, is that Andy Reid gave a lot of credit to Eric Bieniemy after the game for the offensive game plan. Well, Eric Bieniemy was one of the Colts' offensive uh, or head coach candidates, too. And, of course, we've heard he doesn't interview for head coaching positions very well, whatever the reason. But uh, Kansas City had a pretty creative game plan, too. The way they used those plays at the five-yard line, five, six-yard line, where they sent wide receivers in motion heading toward the middle of the field. Then they reversed them, turned them back outside, and the Philadelphia defense got completely confused on their coverage and left guys wide open to make catches and just walk into the end zone. That was beautiful play calling. They saw it on film. They designed a play to, to take advantage of it, and they used it on both sides of the field. I can't remember who did it on the left side, but on the right side, it was Sky Moore. Or on the left side, it was Sky Moore. And um, beautiful play calling. And it was designed because they saw it on their video and realized Philadelphia overshifts when you go in motion. And so start the shift, reverse the shift quickly, snap it at exactly the right moment before they realize they're out of position and then beat them to the corner of the pylon. And uh, that, that was great play calling. But I thought both teams executed some pretty good offense. And, uh, and and I think Shane Steichen, just based on his personality on the sideline, they say he's a lot of uh, the same personality as Nick Sirianni. I I'm ready. Let's get the announcement. Let's let's not mess around with just waiting for Adam Schefter to tell us where the plane <laughs> is or whoever's following the plane. But yesterday, the report was Adam Schefter said that the Colts had notified all of the finalists that were candidates for the head coaching position that the Colts were going a different direction. And by process of elimination, 
it became clear that the Colts had zeroed in on Shane Steichen as the next head coach, who is the offense coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles and participated in the Super Bowl last night. So that Colts private plane apparently is now in Phoenix, where it is refueling and picking up maybe a passenger or two. One Shane Steichen. And then heading back to Indianapolis, probably later tonight, they will be ironing out the terms of the agreement, which I'm sure at this point they've agreed to some framework of a contract. They've just got to sit down, make sure it's all very clear, spelled out. The attorneys and the agents all approve of the language in the contract, and then it's a done deal. Got to dot those I's, cross those T's. And I don't think... uh, I don't think this is a huge surprise because I think everybody started to kind of zero in on Steichen last week, especially when they said that Gus Bradley would stay on as a defensive coordinator because if you had a defensive head coach, would you need a guy like Gus Bradley, a very veteran skilled defensive coach who has his own systems, his own schemes, would you need him running the defense if you're a defensive coach that has your own set of schemes and philosophies. And so Shane Steichen, who comes in, is going to focus on the offensive side of the football. And I think Gus Bradley is going to hopefully be retained and stay on as the defensive coordinator. Now, we'll see where they go as far as the offensive coordinator position, uh, where they go with the rest of the coaching staff, as far as who's going to stay, who may go, who may come over from Philadelphia with Shane Steichen. But that's the latest buzz, is that the Colts are going to be hiring Shane Steichen possibly tonight. And so we'll have to keep ourselves very active on Twitter. Refresh, refresh, refresh. According to Twitter right now, the Colts plane uh, believed to have been sent to pick uh, pick him up has officially left the Phoenix airport now. Okay, so it is en route. We will be tracking this airplane throughout today's (laughs) edition of the Sports Rush an ETA probably just after we get done with the show. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> what do we have tonight? We've got uh, oh, we've got the Matt Painter, Matt Painter show. show inside IU basketball. Do you think we could ask Don Fisher to give us an update on the Colts plane tracking <laughs> uh, during during the middle of inside IU basketball tonight? We will be talking with him later today. I know. So that's what I was thinking. I thought you know maybe when we talk to Don, we'll just say, Hey, Don, there's a plane in the air. Would you do us a favor? Just slip in somewhere during your show. We'll, we'll give him the a link to the tracker. tracker update. <laughs> Where is the plane? The plane. The plane. That's how uh, that's how desperate Colts fans are for a new head coach. <laughs> yeah, we just want the plane to land safely. Get everything done. Don't have a Josh McDaniels situation. All we hope, and really, is that, okay, when this thing settles, and we know it's not Jeff Saturday, although Darius Leonard gave a... I mean, I mean, it's one thing to show support for the guy that got put into a tough position, but Darius Leonard actually gave almost a endorsement of Jeff Saturday as the head coach. And you wonder how prevalent that is in the locker room. Is this going to disappoint some Colts, especially Colts leadership? And I think Darius Leonard would be considered one of the Colts leaders that the Colts are not going with Jeff Saturday. Did they develop a relationship with him? Did they respect him? Uh, were they pulling for him to get the job permanently? And will they be somewhat set, set back a bit? 
they're professionals. They're going to bounce back. And I'm not in any way indicating that this is going to be damning for the future of the Colts. These guys are not going to play for anybody else other than Jeff Saturday. That's not my point. But my point is, did they want Jeff Saturday to get it? And would there be some initial disappointment that the Colts aren't going that direction? And then will Jeff Saturday stay on staff? You know, there's talk about offensive line coach or, uh, you know, that position might be open. You've got an assistant line coach in Philadelphia who apparently is groomed and ready to take over as an offensive line coach. And the only reason he wasn't the offensive line coach in Philadelphia is because they've got one of the NFL's best offensive line coaches. We saw that with how their offensive line performed this year. So we'll see what happens with the coaching staff. But the first uh, first job at hand is to make sure you've got your head coach lined up. And it looks like the Colts are uh, very close to getting a deal done with Shane Steichen, the Philadelphia Eagles offensive coordinator, at least for the moment. Uh, we will go ahead and take a break because uh, we've got plenty to talk about. Purdue, IU, uh Hey, we've got Pacers tickets to give away, too. We've got a lot going on on today's show. Dylan Sin's going to join us coming up in about 17 minutes. Also, Don Fisher, the legendary Hall of Fame voice of the Indiana Hoosiers, joins us for the 15 Minutes with Fish, presented by Cruzy Automotive Service. And that will happen somewhere around 520 this afternoon. So stay right there. Plenty ahead on the Sports Rush Monday, day after Super Bowl edition on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Hey, uh, don't forget Christopher James, the place to get your quality men's clothing. You know, that's where I went when I needed a suit. And I'm not going to wear a suit all that often. And that's why it's important to me to have a good quality suit. That when you pull it out of the closet, it's going to look nice. It's not going to be wrinkled up. Uh, you know, it's going to be a quality fabric, a good looking suit. That has some versatility, so I can wear it with different shirt and tie combinations, even wear it with brown shoes. That's my new thing, you know. I, I'm coming from the generation where we wore black shoes and wore black dress shoes to everything. Now, all of a sudden, brown shoes are the thing. And I went to uh, Chris Lambert at Christopher James Menswear, and I was able to get fixed up with a great-looking suit, great quality uh, merchandise, got me fixed up with a tie, with a shirt, and I got personal one-on-one -on -one service, was treated with great respect. I wasn't going to break the bank on this. He knew I wasn't going to break the bank, but he treated me as if I was. And that was really special to go into a place where you're a little intimidated going in. You're not sure exactly, you know, what's this going to cost me? I'm a little concerned about the price. No, he was made it very comfortable. Worked within my budget, got me fixed up. And very happy to be a satisfied Christopher James menswear customer now. I would recommend you go in, see all the top names and brands, and uh, experience for yourself the difference at Christopher James menswear. They're updating all of their fashions in stock right now, so you can get the first look at some of the new styles for spring. Don't delay. Go to Christopher James menswear. They are uh, right there in Covington Plaza on West Jefferson, corner of Getz. Welcome back to the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, 4-6. to six. Brett Rump with Adam Lundy. Yesterday, the Purdue Boilermakers fell to Northwestern. You know, that's a team that the Mastodons played pretty even with back in November. Uh, but Northwestern's playing really well in the Big Ten schedule. And they defensively kind of exposed Purdue. They pressured the guards into mistakes. And they aggressively doubled Zach Eady. 
I mean, gave him no space. Now, I think quite a bit of, uh, quite a few times, I think that Northwestern probably got away with some bangs on the wrist and a little bit of body bumping against Edie. It just looked like it got very physical. And there was one play in particular late in the game when Edie went to skip a pass from the low block out to the opposite wing and the pass never made it. And I thought that Edie got hit on the arm as he went to throw the pass, which is why the pass was so badly underthrown and then stolen by Northwestern, but no whistle. And so, uh, they played uh, Edie physically. They played him aggressively in double teams. They uh, they put pressure on the Purdue guards, forced them into mistakes. And that seems to be right now the blueprint of attack against the Purdue Boilermakers, who lose for the third time and twice in the last three games. Yeah, for me, this kind of came down to um, experienced guard play versus uh, inexperienced guard play with the uh, two Purdue freshmen going uh, 2 of 13 from the floor. But then you have uh, Bowie and Audige uh, for Northwestern scoring 26 and 15. So that was the difference for me in the game. I think. And Audige was having a miserable game, but yet as a experienced player, he was able to come through in the clutch down the stretch and hit a couple of huge shots, including a big three-pointer. Uh, and Boo Booey. You just love saying the I name. I love Boo Booey. Boo Booey had how many points? Boo Booey finished the night with 26 points. Pretty big night for Boo Booey. 9 of 20 from the field. Uh, not great from three, but got the points, got the uh, got the win. And got to the free throw line, which is one of his real strengths, is he's able to get to the free throw line because he is an aggressive attacker of the basket. He was 7 for 9 at the free throw line. And uh, Bowie finishes with 26, Audige with 15. And as you mentioned, a uh, tough game for both of the Purdue freshmen. Braden Smith, he did get 10 points, but he was one for seven from the field. And then uh, Fletcher Lawyer, one for six from the field. In fact, Lawyer did not hit a three. And that, I mean, that's... That's trouble for the Purdue Boilermakers because if you're going to attack and, and double up on Edie, somebody has to make you pay from the outside. And you look at the numbers, Mason Gillis, really the best three-point shooter, was three for seven. Yeah. But you've got uh, Brandon Newman going over three. David Jenkins was over for two. Uh, Caleb First was over for two from distance. Braden Smith, one for three. Not good. Yeah, they finished uh, under 23% from behind the line as a team there. Yeah, well, outside of Mason Gillis, who was three for seven, then the team was two for fourteen or two for fifteen. That's not going to get it done. That's not a good percentage. That's under twenty percent. So tough one for the Boilermakers. And you know, in some ways, maybe you feel like okay, they've got a comfortable lead in the Big Ten. Now they have something to work on. They know how teams are probably going to prepare for them and attack them. What can they do to adjust? to make themselves better because you know every team has something they need to improve and now Purdue's had that something maybe being exposed early in the season we thought the guards were handling the pressure pretty well but now teams have kind of figured out how to attack these young Purdue guards and force them into some mistakes Purdue ended up turning the ball over 16 times now you know a number that they want to stay at is 10 or less ideally eight is kind of their target number in turnovers. So they doubled the target turnovers for the Boilermakers, at least what Matt Painter says. And six of those were actually charged to Zach Eady. Yeah, he does. You know, that does. He does kind of have a propensity to do that when he gets doubled a little bit. He kind of 
turns it over a couple times, but uh, yeah, gotta keep, gotta I take mean, care of the ball. He didn't handle the pressure either. No, and so Purdue ends up falling sixty-four to fifty-eight as Purdue actually had like a five-point lead late in that game, and then Northwestern just shut the door on the Purdue offense, and uh, and then was able to win it by six, almost going away. And um, and so uh, trouble for Purdue. We'll talk to Dylan Sin about this game. He was there and present, and we'll get his reaction. Also, the Indiana Hoosiers are on a hot streak. You can chalk up three in a row now for Indiana after beating Purdue in that big win at Assembly Hall when Purdue was number one in the country. Uh, Indiana followed it up with the win over Rutgers, and now they go on the road and win what you would consider an ugly game against Michigan. Neither team was artistic offensively, but where Indiana would have consistently lost a game like this prior, they now have a certain toughness about them. And I've got to give Indiana credit where credit is due because I've called them soft, and all of a sudden this team has picked up some type of a toughness. They've they've picked up the intensity defensively, they now face adversity much better than they did earlier. In, like against Arizona uh, earlier in the year, Kansas, those games, when the other team went on a run, Indiana wilted, right? Now they can go into a hostile environment, a place like Michigan, and Michigan gets a couple of buckets, and Indiana continues to play and play hard and uh, tries to execute offensively. I thought Tamar Bates, I'm not sure what was on his mind on Saturday because Tamar Bates threw some real garbage up at the basket, didn't take good shots. I didn't think it was his best day. But Trace Jackson Davis, all 40 minutes on the floor. And that's what you've got to do with your leader. I mean, if if you're better with him on the floor, he can't come off the floor. And, you know, there's off days to rest. But when you're playing a game and you need him, you just got to let him suck it up and stay out there. If you're a college athlete and you're not in good enough shape to play all 40 minutes, then get yourself in shape because <laughs> uh, Trace Jackson Davis had to go 40 minutes. You know, in the NBA, you go 36 to 38 minutes a night and you do it 82 times. So, you know, these college guys with three, four days off, no back-to-backs, should be able to handle that, right? One would think. So uh, Indiana gets the win. Over Michigan, 62-61. to 61. Uh, Tracy Jackson Davis ended up going for 28 points, 11 rebounds, and more importantly, he drew 10 fouls while only committing two fouls himself. He was a force. Absolutely. Hunter Dickinson, he had 16 points, 12 shy of what Tracy Jackson Davis scored. And uh, four or less rebounds, but only had one offensive rebound. In fact, Indiana limited Michigan to just five offensive rebounds for the game. And Indiana out-rebounded Michigan 33-31. to 31. Uh, uh, Indiana turned it over 13 times, six of those from Jalen Hood-Shafino, who still a freshman, right? Makes freshman mistakes, questionable passes, uh, tries to force things uh, every so often. Uh, and as he relaxes and understands, he's good enough to let the game come to him and he can still succeed. He doesn't have to force it. He'll be much better. But um, Trace, but uh, Jalen Hutchfino with six of the 13 turnovers for Indiana. 
And we'll have to ask Don Fisher when we get him on later what the latest status is for Xavier Johnson, who we uh, we believe is maybe getting closer to a return for the Indiana Hoosiers. we got to take a timeout. Dylan Sin standing by. We're going to talk to him about these college basketball games. He will join us when we return on the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Coming up in hour number two on this Monday, 520, we'll talk to the great Don Fisher, legendary Hall of Fame voice of Indiana Hoosiers. It was his take on what's happening with the Hoosiers, three wins in a row. Also, we're going to talk some Hoosiers basketball right now. Joining us on the uh, guest line from the Journal-Gazette is Dylan Sin. And Dylan uh, followed a whole weekend of college basketball, if I'm not mistaken. Friday night, Coliseum for the Mastodons in Youngstown State. Saturday, uh, following the, uh, let's see, it would have been the Indiana Hoosiers at Michigan. And then finishing up the weekend on Sunday in Evanston as the Purdue Boilermakers were defeated by Northwestern. Did I get your weekend uh, itinerary correct, Dylan? You did. You did. It was a trip across uh, the Big Ten and the Horizon League. I had, I had a good time, and uh, I am on my way back to Fort Wayne now. The uh, On the way back to Fort Wayne, what, you, uh, you decide to uh, see the sights in Chicago for an extra day? My, my parents live in the, in the suburbs of oh. Chicago, so I, I stayed with them last night. Oh well, that's uh, okay. That explains it. I I was I was hoping it wasn't some kind of car issue or something because I know how much you trust that car. But uh, big weekend of college basketball, and let's start with the uh, Indiana Hoosiers getting a road win at Michigan. Really important game, and you know what? To me, this is the kind of game that uh, that really says something about where Indiana is right now. Because this would have been such an easy game for Indiana to lose. On the road, a tough game, a defensive battle. Offense isn't necessarily clicking on all cylinders. You're missing Race Thompson. Uh, this would have been an easy one for Indiana to just toss into the loss column and then come back home. But instead, they found a way to tough it out. And I think that says something about the Hoosiers. No, I, I think you're absolutely right, and, and, and Mike Woodson agrees with you because he said that after the game, after the game against Michigan, he said that he thought that was the most important win they've had in his tenure at IU, which, which I thought was kind of interesting because Michigan isn't particularly good, but he just thought that they played really well down the stretch. They got they ended the game with eight straight stops on defense. That Michigan didn't score for the final five minutes of that game. Uh, Michigan led the entire way, and Indiana just buckled down at the end and made the plays necessary to win. And, and, and that would, that's, again, we've said this a lot the, couple, the last couple of weeks, but that is a, a game Indiana would have lost as recently as last year. And this, this team is a little bit different than the ones that came before it. One thing you always get concerned about is there's sometimes there's addition by subtraction, sometimes there's subtraction by addition. Uh, Indiana kind of dealing with both, with guys that are missing games, like Race Thompson against Michigan, but Indiana was able to overcome that. Uh, then you see uh, Geronimo and uh, Malik Renew get uh, expanded roles with Race Thompson not in there. But Indiana also has started to play pretty well. And Jalen hood Shafino's kind of grown as a freshman. And Xavier Johnson's going to be added to the mix probably sometime, what, next couple of weeks? That seems like where we're going. And it's kind of, it's not the best situation for IU because you'd like to have your rotation pretty much set 
by the end of the regular season so you can go into tournament play with, with guys knowing what their roles are and feeling comfortable in those roles. But it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case for IU because we don't know exactly when Xavier Johnson's going to get back. We don't know how, how much Ray Thompson's going to be able to play going forward, uh, if he's going to be able to play at all, or if, if that knee is going to keep him at less than 100% physically. So it's going to be a little bit difficult for, for both of them. Um, and we're going to see whether IU is going to be able to kind of figure out that as it goes along. That's something that Mike Woodson has talked about is he played a smaller rotation against Michigan than he's played pretty much ever because he wasn't comfortable with C.J. Gunn and Caleb Banks getting thrown in there on the road. And so now you're like, okay, well, how do you get comfortable by the time the tournament starts? That's going to be a huge key for Indiana. Trey Galloway... I think he's one of those underappreciated guys for Indiana because they have so much star power. When you talk about Trace Jackson Davis, you, you got Jalen Hood Shafino, the five-star recruit. But Trey Galloway, to me, is kind of the glue. And I don't think it's coincidence. If I'm not mistaken, some of Indiana's tough games where they lost, Trey Galloway was out, wasn't he? Yeah, he, he, he has missed some time. And the question is going forward is how much is he able to provide on the offensive end? Because they need guys that can get to the hoop off the dribble like Galloway does. Um, and he's healthy now. That's, that is not someone they're worried about at this point. Um, and so it, they need him to be able to, to create off the dribble, create for his teammates. And he's just been really, really good on defense. That was one of the keys to all those stops that they had against Michigan at the end was Galloway being in the right position on a regular basis. And having a guy who is very good on both ends of the floor in that way and can make an impact on both ends of the floor is, you're right, someone who can tie the whole thing together. And that's exactly my point with Galloway. He doesn't put up the big numbers. He's capable of hitting a big shot when you need one. But he's very comfortable in his role. He's going to distribute more than he's going to, to take over offensively. But that role he plays defensively, which... I think was something that Indiana was missing, having that wing stopper, the guy who can match up against a wing or a good guard, shooting guard from the other team, and come up with defensive stops. And that's why I look at Galloway, and I think, you know, he's kind of one of those guys, and I don't want to make it a Purdue example, but he's one of those guys that just fits perfectly with the rest of the roster. And I think that's why he's so important to Indiana, and a lot of fans probably don't even notice him. No, I, I think that's I think that's a good point, and and the, the the thing with being able to guard a really good wing is is important because that's that's one of the keys to Indiana's defense is is all that pressure on the perimeter, and when you have that type of pressure, you need to keep guys in front of you because if they get behind you, there's not going to be a whole lot of help coming, and so having someone like that who can take the other team's best guard and keep him from getting into the middle and, and driving and kicking, that's huge. That was a huge piece of Indiana's win against Purdue with Trey Galloway being able to do that against Fletcher Lawyer. And so um, Xavier Johnson has filled that role at times the last couple of years. Obviously, him being out hurt their defense a little bit to start. I think that was a huge part of the game against Penn State where they gave up all those threes, where they just weren't settled defensively. I think they're more settled now than they were then because of the way Galloway is playing. And uh, and I guess I uh, was mistaken. He was in the lineup for most of those games, so I guess I'll uh, edit that out of the podcast. But uh, anyway, Dylan Sin joining us from the Journal-Cassette to talk Indiana basketball and Purdue basketball. Uh, and this is going to be a, a tough week for Purdue because they seem to have been exposed a bit as far as pressure, and they're going into a place where they're going to see a lot of pressure. 
this is a tough spot for Purdue right now. Yeah, and that's the thing is once the book is out on Purdue, um, now you're gonna now you're gonna see the pressure that has caused all those turnovers the last three games. You're gonna see it until they prove that they can handle it. And obviously, that they're going into a game this Thursday against Maryland where they were they Maryland pressured them when they played them at Mackey Arena a couple weeks ago, and Purdue was somewhat fortunate to come out of that game with a win. They only won that one by three. So uh, Maryland has the kind of long, athletic wings that have been able to slow Purdue down and bother them a little bit. And I think that that's what we're going to see again in College Park is can Purdue handle that pressure? Can they avoid turnovers? Can, as Matt Painter said yesterday, can they pass and catch? And I think that's going to be the key to that game, and it won't be an easy one for Purdue on the road. Dylan, you were there, maybe a better perspective. On TV, I thought maybe there were a few uh, maybe bumps on the wrist or uh – Let's just say I thought Edie might have gotten fouled a few times that didn't get called. Were the officials kind of letting it go against Zach Edie yesterday? Well, Matt Painter certainly thinks so, and Zach Edie certainly thinks so. Um, basically, Matt Painter said that there were he, he looked at the score sheet and there were nine fouls that were whistled for Northwestern against Edie, and he said she could. And Matt Painter said you could have doubled or tripled that. Um, obviously, he's, he's looking at that through Purdue colored glasses, but that's something that's kind of a. Uh, a point that he's been hammering home all year is that officials aren't calling fouls against Edie as much as they should. Um, and and I, there were definitely times where Northwestern was really, really aggressive on those double teams, and it looked like they probably got into his space a little bit in ways that you could have called a foul if you wanted to. Um, and Edie was very upset about it after the game. Obviously, he doesn't show uh, much emotion, but you could just kind of tell he was not happy with the way he was defended in that game. And so... It's going to be a question going forward of how is how is he going to be officiated. It's been the same issue for the whole season. You mentioned the pressure on the guards. How does Purdue counter that? Uh, they can't hide two freshman guards. So what what's the answer for the Boilermakers in dealing with that pressure? Well, the first thing is for both Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer to just be a little bit stronger with the ball. They're guys who they, they can handle the ball. They've shown that throughout the season. Um, and obviously, if they're getting that much pressure on the perimeter, it's the same thing with IU's defense. There are going to be um, people in the middle of the court who you can flash to the middle almost like a zone, bring in a forward or something like that, and then guys, if you can beat them off the dribble, you can get to the middle and drive and kick. And we've seen Braden Smith do that. He did that against Iowa on a fairly regular basis. And so um, there are ways to counter it, um, but it's going to take essentially what Matt Painter said after the game against Northwestern is just toughness and better handling of the ball dylan sin from the journal gazette joining us on our guest line uh, dylan appreciate the time and have a safe drive back we'll look forward to seeing you next time real soon absolutely brett always glad to do it thanks for having me on dylan sin he is our guest today and of course coming up about 30 minutes down the road we've got don fisher from indiana the play-by-play voice of the indiana hoosiers he will join us to talk indiana basketball we'll take a quick time out Coming up next, we tell you how to win Pacers tickets. We've got them. Also, we'll get today's top headlines. That's coming up next here on the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Welcome back to the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6. It is the Monday after edition. After the Super Bowl, where the Kansas City Chiefs, for the second time with Patrick Mahomes as QB, win with a 38-35 win over the Philadelphia Eagles. Plenty more to discuss about the Super Bowl coming up at 5 o'clock, including 
of course, those all-important commercials. I want to get your take because, Adam, you and I are in completely different generations, right? Everybody talks about the adult 25 to 54 demo. But if you're a 25-year-old, you're a totally different position in life than a 54-year-old. And you're not 25, and I'm not 54. But we're pretty close, right? I am 25. Okay, so you are 25. <laughs> okay, then I'm 54, darn it. I'm just going to go <laughs> ahead and say it. I'm going to, for the for the sake of the argument, I'm going to go ahead and take claim to 54. Wink, wink. Yeah, shave a couple years off. Yeah, um, yeah a couple. I'm still wide. <laughs> I will not forget that. And then you made a promo out of it and put it on the air like six times a day. Oh, yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh <laughs> We we uh, we also have Pacers tickets to give away. I don't know if you realize we've got some Pacers tickets. Oh, yeah. That, uh, we are giving away to Wednesday night's game down at Cambridge Field House. You can go see the Pacers and the Bulls. Pacers, Chicago Bulls, a pair of tickets for Wednesday night's game. And we're going to give these away by way of the text line, Parkview Sports Medicine text line. What you have to text us is Miles Turner. Miles Turner. All you have to do is text Miles Turner to 46862. Spelling is important. Miles Turner, 46862, and we'll randomly select one entry to win our pair of tickets to the Pacers and the Bulls Wednesday night at Gainbridge Field House. All right. Before we get to the top of the hour, we want to get caught up on everything happening in the world of sports, including flight tracking. <laughs> Here we go. It is our top headlines of the day with Adam Lundy. All right. Well, Purdue's loss to Northwestern caused a jumble at the top of the AP Top 25. Alabama is the new number one, rising to the top spot for the first time in 20 years. Houston had 22 first place votes to remain at number two. And Purdue is now down to number three, but they still had two first place votes. And back in the top 25, Brett. Whoa! Your Florida Atlantic Owls are now back at number 25 after dropping out last week. The Owls beat Rice and Louisiana Tech over the past week. Yeah, those Owls. Look out for the Owls. Those Owls are scary, people. After being waived four days ago in the move that brought George Hill and Jordan Nuora, the Pacers have once again signed forward James Johnson back to the team. The 35-year-old Johnson has been described as the heart of the team by rookie Benedict Matherin. Kind of a known situation that the Pacers had to complete the trade and have room for Ibaka on the roster, so they had to move somebody aside for a couple of days till that paperwork was completed. So then the Pacers could release Ibaka. Once that paperwork was completed, then they went back and brought Johnson back. So no big surprise here. He did kind of did a favor for the team. One more for you with football now over and baseball coming up. The MLB is making it permanent in all regular season. Extra inning games, a runner will be placed on second base to begin the 10th inning. And in every inning after that until a winner is determined. That will certainly be a, a factor, but also the pitch clock will be interesting to see how that goes in Major League Baseball. There you go. Our top headlines from Adam Lundy. And Adam, I promise the flight tracker, of course, the Colts. Have Let's sent, check it. They've sent their plane to Phoenix to pick up Shane Steichen and hopefully make him the next Colts head coach. The plane has departed Phoenix. It is en route. 
Yes, right now it's just north of Santa Fe in the Pecos Wilderness. There we go. We continue to track the Colts' flight back from Phoenix. And that means that the ETA is probably somewhere in the vicinity of 7 o'clock. And so if the Colts do get a head coach officially signed and delivered, it probably is not going to happen until sometime later this evening. But that's today's headlines with Adam Lundy. We'll take a break. We'll come back. Hour number two on the other side. This is the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.